When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Good morning, Saints. Hello, hello Joshua. <laughs> hello, hello, Joe. Oh my gosh, there's another voice on the show. Oh what my man. gosh. Well, we'll just get we'll just get right into it. So, um, I would just love to introduce my sister in Christ and former and and former uh, Fright School guest, uh, Delia. I feel Yay. like no one has ever introduced me as that before. Their sister in Christ. Thank you, brother Joe. As a sister Joe. in Christ. <laughs> as a sister in Christ. I was like, we have a lot to cover, so let's just fuck it. Let's just fucking forget the pretense and just go right into it, right? So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, we, we have to catch up a little play? bit. My God. We haven't. We well, haven't talked to. Uh, that, that's true. I well, I yeah. mean, I've seen Delia recently because I went that's to the true. city of Lost Wages. Yeah, that's nice when that happens. Do you like being like uh, an attraction in Las Vegas? (laughs) I do. It's nice because everyone comes through here. Um, So, yes, I do get to visit with quite a few people that are in town for a variety of activities. Um, So, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. So come by, see me anytime. (laughs) Yeah. We'll go enjoy. Yeah, I want to. Together. I I wanted to go. Um, just sometimes, you know, you just have that wild like. Ah, let's just like run over there real quick because it's only like five to eight hours away, depending on traffic. So it's not yeah. like a you know you can leave pretty early and get there. You know. Um, oh yeah. And definitely. still have plenty of like time to like wander about and you know do shit. And uh, so there was a show going on. There's Orville Peck, who I'm seeing uh, tonight. Um, if today was actually Monday. <laughs> um, that is a riddle. You know. Yeah, trying to, you know, yes. Yeah, so because it is Monday, of course, Monday the 25th, uh, I am seeing Orville <laughs> Peck tonight, but he was playing in Las Vegas uh, like a day or two ago, and uh, somebody in a fan group had an extra ticket uh, that was like, hey, I'm trying to give this away. Anybody, like, you know, want to, like, meet up? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I totally want to, like, jump over, just go, like, see him again, you know? But anyways, not the point. How are you doing, Delia, since since last we we laid eyes upon each other? That was, gosh, uh, like, last June? When was that? Yeah, was I think that it was last, last June? year. Last, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, because I, I went to town for the uh, Mark Patton, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Scream Queen doc showing, and, you know, other horror-related yeah. things I was doing while I was there. Uh, staying in that awful um, casino hotel. Oh, <laughs> Actually, yeah. I don't know why I keep saying that, because... 
It actually was really fun. Gambling the drinks were really cheap, and I got to hang with you. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it was a smoke filled cave. It was like though, that. like that it definitely. Was. Yeah, it was a little creepy, but so much fun. Yeah, the casino floor yeah. was like as big as a two car garage. Like, it was definitely. It was a time. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I was over in San Diego and saw you because I'm like, I know I've seen you sooner than that. And I saw you in December. Yeah, yeah. To hang out. That's true. But the last time you were here. Yeah, I guess last I've time we good. visited in, yeah. your, in Las Vegas. In, in my neighborhood. <laughs> in my neighborhood. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's June. true. You were over and we had our little girls fun weekend watching. Yes, uh, our little girls TV, night. So. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> But yeah, what have you been up to? Um, let's see. Nothing much. A lot of pondering life and what's next. Just, yeah. you know, <laughs> in all areas. I feel like coming out of pandemic life, it's just kind of like, hmm, what do I really want? And kind of being sad about the time we all lost and grieving that. And yeah, just kind of trying to like, recenter myself and read more and you know I don't know it's kind of a weird limbo place which is interesting that we're talking about yeah catholic stuffs <laughs> during this podcast true true yeah, yeah. A, a real place so yeah so just kind of you know figuring it out asking questions waiting patiently for answers well not so patiently because I'm just not patient but Waiting nonetheless, because that's how the game goes. <laughs> but what about you, Joshua? What's been What happening? have you been reading? Oh. Uh, oh, what have uh, I been reading? Same old, same old. Yeah, what have you been reading lately? What have I been reading lately? I have been reading... What did I just read that I... I read some, like, kind of just nondescript, like, fiction... But it's about like the Babylon Hotel in New York, which is like the first women's hotel or Barbizon, Barbizon Hotel. And it's featured in The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, but it's called The Amazon. So I read like a historical account of that hotel and then like a fiction, work of fiction based on it. Um, And then I started reading about how to write erotica. (laughs) So I've been reading about how to like write your own like sex story like because i found that interesting so yeah that's what i'm that's what i'm up to reading sexy times and uh, all right wow can't can't wait to read that book (laughs) (laughs) yeah and just the the book i'm reading and i'll i don't know we'll have to include it in show notes because i don't remember the title but um the woman (laughs) who wrote it was talking about Um, how important it is to write your own sexual experience just as a creative person. So even if you don't publish erotica or do anything with it to get in touch with that, like your own sexual nature. So it's been eye opening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dig that. I dig that. That's a, um, yeah, very sex positive and, you know, uses of the erotic. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Dig for it. sure, sure. And I'm like watching Joe reading. kind of like yeah. lounging right now. So I'm like, talk to me about <laughs> well, yes. you know, Joe. <laughs> I mean, the, the, here's the thing, right, is that, you know, we, dear listener, we're, we are trying something different today. So instead of, 
you know, we're trying to unpack the binary that is recording. So, like, <laughs> in the old days, the recording either happened in person or it happened over the internet. Um, now we are doing, you know, we're we're now we've created the they them of recording, which is um, we're recording over the internet, but we are also in person. Um, although Joshua and I realize that uh, we cannot be in the same room recording lest it drive Joshua mad. So um, I'm actually, I'm in the guest bedroom, which I lovingly call the prayer room, um, which is fitting for today. Um, there's a beautiful yeah. skylight in here. I'm basking in the glow of heaven. Yeah, um, yes, you are. And there's a bed and I will lay down. I will lay the fuck down <laughs> if it was given the chance. <laughs> so, if Joe could record all the episodes just from laying in his bed, he probably would. I, and I it. totally have. I've done you one have before. Yeah, I've definitely done one laying down, and that was the day after I got my first, uh, my second dose of the vaccine. Uh, <laughs> and I literally laid in my bed uh, while we talked about a Stephen King film. Yeah, we can accomplish. Um, I for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned um, Stephen King because he, not really, this is this is a weird uh, transition, but back to book reading. I've been reading this book by Gretchen uh, Felker. Wieners? Martin, Martin Felker. Ugh, I keep messing up her name. Um, she's written this book, yes, Gretchen Wieners, uh, who is totally a real person. Um, you know, and her father is the toaster's brutal. Yeah, I read a toaster strudel. <laughs> Gretchen Felker Martin, and uh, she wrote this book called Manhunt, and I've been reading it. It's uh, was one of the, like the anticipated like horror releases for 2022, and uh, it's about. It's it's post apocalyptic, so it's about this like plague that makes anybody mostly men cis males like turn into like monstrous wild you know animal creatures and anybody with a certain level of testosterone is affected. So it's about, um, you know, so far it's following these two like trans women as they're trying to keep like enough, like estrogen, like hormones going in their bodies. But of course the world's in a post-apocalyptic state. So uh, it's driven a lot of like queer people underground. And there are these like roving bands of like turf armies that are like hunting both the men creatures and trans people. Uh, for fear that they'll become like these monsters. And so it's a very interesting book. It's doing a lot. <laughs> uh, it's also setting Twitter on fire a little bit because the author, uh, I believe, is a trans woman. And she features the death of J.K. Rowling in the book. Rowling, Rowling, oh. and um, J.K. Turfdom. And so everybody's like really mad about it. And there's all these like articles being written about the book and like kind of like trashing it. But it was very interesting because Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, this is why the I was making that connection earlier, also killed J.K. Rowling in like one of his books. And like nobody said anything. So oh. it's just very interesting, this like Twitter army of like at least no I mean, maybe somebody did say something about it, but I don't remember there being like a kerfuffle of like don't buy or support this book because JK Rowland dies. He also kills a bunch of other celebrities in it. It's about a plague that like uh, it's like a um a fungus that eventually causes you to um 
oh shit, what, I, why do I keep forgetting what this is called? Combust? Um, spontaneously combust? Spontaneously combust. Yeah, people oh. burn to death like by, from this like disease. So he describes the deaths of several celebrities who catch the, um, the mold. Oh, okay. The dragon um, stuff. They call it dragon scale. Scale, the scale. They catch oh. the scale. So anyways, but so they're all like saying, oh, she like burns to death in the book, but it's like really her house like collapses in on her. I don't know. It's like <laughs> not her, her castle. Yes. Her, her castle, castle in Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so it's just been very interesting to watch because I follow, I followed Gretchen for a while on like Twitter. And then when this book was coming out, uh, obviously. So uh, it's really interesting to watch her kind of weathering this because she just has like a don't give a fuck attitude, <laughs> which is really great. Um, she's like, don't invite me to, I'm not going to just like talk with turfs. Like, cause people are like, you know, you should like, you know, do some kind of, you know, talk back or conversation. She goes, Nope, not doing that. Cause there's not, it's not a, um, a mutual, like there's not a good faith on the side of like the turf Exchange, people. And the yeah. argument is like, yeah. And the argument really boils down to what all these arguments boil down to is, um, my point is, I'm a human being who has a right to live and a right to live freely as I am. I'm not harming you. So like, just let me be. And their counterpoint is no. And that's not, a, <laughs> that's, that's not, not a like an argument. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's like legitimately, I feel all of these arguments are we're don't, we're not going to respect you as a human being and as a person. Uh, so fuck you, but you need to respect us as like a Christian, you know, blah, blah, whatever it is they're wearing, whatever costume they're wrapping themselves up in to say that they are better and, and more valuable um, of, of a life than yours. And so it's like, yes, yeah, I just love how she's just yeah. like, I'm not, don't invite me to do that. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to defend myself. Um, I've written a horror novel. You know, it's a horror novel. Yeah. Like, grow up, move on. So anyway, so that's been interesting this week. That's what I've been reading. Yeah. So, yay. <laughs> Nice. Uh, otherwise, just school stuff, you know, wrapping up. I've said a couple times now on the show, I've got just a couple couple weeks left of schooling for the semester. Wow. And then I have a nice break. And then I'm starting my MFT program um, in the fall. So I'm looking forward to like a few months off to like let my brain. <laughs> nice. So it's like hot girl summer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, only it's going to be like. You know, I just want to lounge around. I'm going to catch up on shows that I haven't watched. I want to read. I want to read a lot. That's my big plan is for fun. (coughs) Excuse me. Choking to death on my water. Um, yeah, I would, I would like to read because for me, like reading is (laughs) relaxing and fun. It's not like, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, kind of like torture for like school stuff. But anyways, Joe, what have you been up to? Have you watched anything, seen anything this week? I know Drag I mean, Race, obviously, but we, we you haven't been watching the new season, so we can't I mean, really talk about it. It was my birthday, so I did That's everything right. for me. Um, I did yeah. everything for me. had a lovely dinner with Jimmy Kins and my family. We went to a lovely steak dinner. Um I had a very nice, uh, I did a little movie, backyard movie night with some of my uh, other gay friends that don't like horror. Um, I made them watch The Craft. (laughs) Oh, fun. Okay. Because a lot of them hadn't seen The Craft. 
and I was could not abide that. And uh, yeah, I mean, she I didn't abide that. That's, so whatever. Um, I mean, I, I am doing something with you that. separately. So I know, you know. I know. You, you know, you're you're like VIP cannot be bothered with the unwashed masses. So I I would have loved that. Though. That would have been fun. Although you did um, say there were other gay people, so I don't know. Were they gay menses? Yes, they were gay oh, men. Yeah, so no. I, out of respect for you and your misandry, <laughs> that's terrible. That's a that's a no go, Joshua. Um, I bet it was fun. breaker. No, Joe knows what I mean. Like. <laughs> other gay men's is of a particular stripe joe joe oh, knows so he he's he keeps them away it's more for their safety than mine you know because <laughs> he just he knows he doesn't want me like fighting with his friends internalized misogyny or their racism so he's just like <laughs> you know delia when what they say that when jesus comes when jesus returns the lion will lay with the lamb but until then um, i do not want to bring the lion to the lamb party because it'll no this is hilarious um but yeah, yeah but so, I, it was your yeah. birthday so yeah, happy it was my birthday, birthday was, again yes this is um, the other you know the other cool thing is that this is the uh my jesus year i'm 33 um, I see. I so, had no idea you know, that I'm was going... a thing when I turned 33. I didn't know that yeah. was my Jesus year. I totally missed it. I'm turning 43 this yeah. year, so maybe I'll have a Jesus year plus a decade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you live you live 10 years <laughs> longer than Christ did. So yes. And, and, we get and to you, maybe you'll have a significant. You? Yeah, can we? We should crucify Delia. Yes. No, you, Joe. I don't want to crucify oh, me. Delia. I was like, I didn't know who you were talking to. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, you can. You know, you can. Um, we can do a little doubting Thomas accent. You can, you know, stick your hand in my holes, uh, and wow. just to make sure that I'm real. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this this took a turn. Um, turn for the worst. um so fun yeah joe so this is like your last well for now because like i said i've thoroughly enjoyed this and we're gonna have to do this again uh having you do little capstone projects um but uh today's like the last one how are you feeling uh i'm feeling good about it i'm a little sad i'm a little sad that it's over but i am very happy to return um to return to just being a dark passenger <laughs> again, <laughs> once again. Um, yeah, it, this is, uh, I have a new respect for the amount of effort that this takes you, Joshua, because this has been exhausting. <laughs> just trying to come up with things to talk about, things to lead the conversation. <laughs> yeah, especially, you know, because I, I, I have such a... Uh, I have such a good example to uh, follow in the footsteps of. And so that's also part of it as well. Uh, flattery will get you everything, right, Delia? Yes, oh. it sure will. <laughs> well, then uh, we just want to leave it there and and dive in. Let's get right into it. Um, I have, I'm so excited to talk about this and uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from some friends, and we'll be back with our final Catholic horror in this capstone project, Midnight Mass. 
Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi-oh! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. The Lord be with you. And also with you. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to the final conversation in our Catholic horror um in our catholic horror unit uh we're going to be talking about 2021's uh midnight mass written and directed by mike flanagan um but before we get into that um my intention with this whole project was um, i initially thought that i was going to bring on a guest like every week and talk about things every week but i decided to change that up a little bit because i really the things that I'm talking about and that we're talking about are very intensely personal. And I wanted to kind of just keep it in the family as it were with me and Joshua until I went to Vegas (laughs) and reconnected (laughs) with Delia and realized that the, that the other, the only other person that I feel would maybe feel as strongly about this particular show, uh, as I do and have also a lot to say with it and also has a very complicated and complex relationship with the Catholic church is, uh, Miss Delia herself. Um, and so before we get into anything about the show, I was Delia, this question's for you or well, this next bit is for you. Um, tell us just very briefly your history with the church and, uh, (laughs) very brief, like, you know, where, Keep it brief. <laughs> keep, keep it brief. Keep your trauma brief. Uh, exactly. But like, what uh, what was your experience growing up, and kind of how you move through that into adulthood, and where you're kind of at now? So, you know. Okay, so very brief. You know, gen- very brief, super brief, guys. So Genesis in the beginning. Um, so I'm a Irish Catholic. I'm a <laughs> I'm a cradle Catholic, so I, you know, went through most of the sacraments, see, for marriage and anointing of the sick. Um, I grew up in the church. My grandparents were Catholic. My mom was raised Catholic. My dad wasn't. Um, So I grew up going to church and for the first couple years of schooling went to parochial school. Um, And then I moved from Iowa to California And the church I went to in California, Resurrection Parish, Santa Rosa, big ups, it was a very liberal Catholic church. So um, in our chapel, there was an AIDS memorial to all the people in the diocese who died of AIDS. Um, It was a very welcoming parish. And so I grew up, I feel like with a different view of the Catholic church than most people have, because, you know, everyone was welcome. It was very like a non-traditional looking Catholic church. It was like, definitely seemed like it was built in the sixties. Cause it was all like cement floors and rows of chairs and like 
really interesting like carvings into the wall, like Bible verse carvings. And it was just, it was very interesting. They felt very like comforted being part of that community. And uh, kind of all the way through like my twenties really. And then I kind of got away from like the actual like weekly worship during like the coming uh, like all of the sex scandals that happened within the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And that really shook my faith as far as like, you know, people not being punished for sins and that the Catholic church isn't even like coming to terms with its own problems, you know? And I just thought like, that's not, that's not really like a solid teaching foundation. That's not really being a leader. Like if you can't accept responsibility for some of the people in your organization and calling them to task and saying like, Hey, like, and just the amount of stuff that came out, out of these scandals. And I kind of walked away then and just, you know, there's a lot of like white dudes (laughs) in charge of, of that. And I think if, the Catholic church let women be priests. And if celibacy wasn't like the big cornerstone, it would be a lot different. So, but I miss it from time to time. I miss the ritual. I miss the community. I miss, but I also don't miss the judgment and the, the rhetoric from some Catholic church. Cause you know, I went to other Catholic churches then and realized like, Hey, not all of them are as welcoming. <laughs> so that basically, yeah, brings us yeah. to present. Brief. Okay. I, I, I relate to that a lot, Delia, um, especially because growing up where I grew up and kind of how the church is a, the center of a lot of, you know, daily life and and a lot of community stuff is centered around religion, is centered around the church specifically. I grew up like... it's weird to like say that like, yeah, I was really involved, but that's also because I was, I really wanted to feel that sense of community and did feel that sense Mm -hmm. of community and comfort there. And then when we moved to the mainland and realizing that like, there's this kind of like really kind of stark austerity to the, to the, um, to the, the church community, the faith community that we joined when we moved here, uh, my family did, and it Mm -hmm. was not the same. And it's like the only kind of church that I will, like if I lived on Guam, I would probably still go back every, every Sunday, if only to just have that sense of community. So in the same way that like a lot and, and, and doing this project uh, for fright school, I've kind of decided that like, um, in the same way that a lot of people who grew up Jewish um, are like culturally Jewish, I think I identify the similar way as being like culturally Catholic, but specifically yeah. like culturally Chamorro Catholic, Guam Catholic, because there are different things that we do there that aren't done here um, in terms of ritual that don't that are not against uh, the faith at large, but are just you know, little extra things that play into our cultural belief. 
Mm. Um, and then, so thank you for sharing that, Delia. I, I really wanted to make sure that our listeners, our dear listener, got to set the table a little bit with that. Um, and um, Joshua and I actually have, a, you know, we watched Midnight Mass recently because uh, Joshua has been doing these uh, weekly kind of, in case you missed it, uh, what are we calling, what are you calling it, Joshua, the Wednesday stuff? Oh, well, I mean, it just kind of goes along with our, like, because we've always hosted for American Horror Story, so we just decided to kind of keep it going instead of, like, you know, stopping. So we just do on Wednesdays, we watch TV, and sometimes we're black. And so, yeah, we've just been watching. We just kind of vote on stuff. I mean, ideally, it's stuff we haven't seen, but then, like, a lot of the members are either cheating and watching stuff when we don't watch it, or they've seen it already. So I don't exactly know what to do about that, except... <laughs> to discourage punish people <laughs> the point is, is that we're watching something together you know so uh-huh. we just we watch midnight mass we just finished the woman in the window across the street from the girl in the roof or whatever i don't wine. i can't even yeah. all that <laughs> yeah so we just watch that next up we're gonna watch severance uh, on apple tv which i'm very excited about mm-hmm. it's got um um oh my gosh her name just left me <laughs> i know adam that scott is woman. in it uh, okay. But also, yeah. Um, what is she is her a, name? She's a Patricia white Arquette. woman. There it is, Patricia oh, okay. Arquette. Ugh, my brain, I tell you. <laughs> looking forward to the um, the mental yeah. break from school. Break. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so we've just been doing that. So we we decided to watch Midnight Mass as one of them. Uh, gosh, when did we watch it? It's been a couple months now. Was it in January? Uh, yeah, it was in January, yeah. and. Um, I had, uh, so I was really, you know, I, I really was in, uh, wanting to participate. I miss those, uh, uh, I miss those community viewings of things so much, but, um, you know, lo and behold, uh, uh, COVID had other, uh, had other plans. So I had a pretty, this was in the height of the Omicron. I had a, a pretty close contact exposure and decided, you know what, I'll stay away. And I watched the first episode in conjunction with the rest of the folks. And then I was one of the ones who cheated. I could not stop watching. It was so compelling and I found it so moving and so compelling. And so uh, 24 hours, I was done. I, I finished the entire series. Yeah. Uh, and I just found it so moving. And I am so happy that like I got to introduce that to Delia, who I hadn't seen it. And I basically said, "You're going to be on the show. We're going to talk about this. You need it. You have uh, two weeks to watch before we record." <laughs> to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Delia, you know, you as we do normally in Fright School, when someone has not seen the uh, seen the film, the the artifact that we are talking about. Um, mm-hmm. First impressions after having watched the whole thing, what did you think? Well, I um, I am not a huge fan of horror. <laughs> um, so I don't, I'm like, am I in the right place? Um, I loved it. I loved it from a creative storytelling perspective. And I think the mm-hmm. horror that I most appreciate is the kind that takes things that are rather innocuous and amplifies them to a horror element. So the fact Mm. that this was a small town on an island, 
like small towns anyways kind of give me the creeps um my dad's from a small town of about 600 people and the fact that this was like on a on an island i'm like oh my god like that just ratchets it ratchets it up for me like i'm just so like terrified of like immediately i'm in there being terrified um and i loved the questions it posed like i love the questions of forgiveness and you know what happens when we die i think you know that is the one thing that connects every single one of us is that is a process we'll have to go through and whether it's immediate or slow or, but we're all going to have to deal with it. So I think no matter what, you know, kind of how we live our life, we're ultimately all going to have to answer some questions at the end or ignore them. I mean, that's a choice too. Um, I love the characters. I think anyone who ever went to church recognizes Bev, the church lady. (laughs) So that was definitely like, oh my God, I know her. I so know her. Um, And yeah, I just, I found it fascinating. Fascinating. I was just riveted like from that first episode. So Well, good. I'm very glad. Um, so yeah. I wanted to well, I have talk to you like, hey, you have to watch this. And then it's like, this was awful. Why did you? Make that? <laughs> this was so, so like, dumb. <laughs> I was totally open to that, too. I was totally open to to that. So. Um, so one of the first things I want to bring up uh, in my talking points for this is um Again, major spoilers for Midnight Mass. It just came out in September 2021. So if you haven't seen it, stop right now. Go for the next 24 hours, binge the shit out of it, <laughs> and then come back here uh, and and pick this up. So again, major spoiler alert. Um, What's like what, the, seven, seven and a half, eight hours? Yeah, like seven content. episodes. So, yeah, so you can do it in a day. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. can totally do it in a day if you have nothing else going on. <laughs> So, obviously, Midnight Mass, it's about a uh, small, uh, small town on an island, fishing village. We're never really sure where they are, where the mainland is. I, I, for some reason, I thought off the coast of Washington, but it definitely could be, like, off of the one of the East Coast New English-ish states, something Maine. like that. Yeah. And... Exactly. And then um, the Monsignor, uh, Monsignor Pruitt is the old, uh, the, you know, octogenarian in the throes of dementia priest, um, has left for the Holy Land, comes back. uh, Well, no, doesn't come back in his in his stead as his replacement as a younger priest, uh, Father Paul Hill. And. All of a sudden, Father Hill is uh, making miracles, and the the lame walk, the blind see, or the bifocal see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, uh, the backs are healed. Everyone is starting to feel good. Uh, no one but, color their gray anymore. It's all exactly washed, <laughs> all washed away. Exactly, everyone's credit score improves. Why? Uh, you know, the the Wi Fi isn't slow. Uh, and what is not 
told is that he has been lacing the communion wine with the blood of an angel, which to the astute Fright School slash horror fan uh, is essentially some alpha vampire um, situation we have going on. And obviously this is related. We talked about this when we talked about thirst is a lot of the like blood, the true presence and what that means, especially in Catholic faith uh, and to explore it in this way. So before we get into anything else, the one, the first talking point I want to bring up is that um, if you read the catechism of the Catholic church, the CCC, um, this it's a book that's like two, three inches thick. Um, Essentially it has like, (laughs) the basis for all doctrine of the, of the Catholic church. Uh, and super the fun one read, thing guys. that I remember, for a summer it's a super fun read. read. Summer beach read. Right. Um, <laughs> if you <laughs> skip directly to what it says about homosexuality and gay people, like that's, and, and you'll just learn everything you need to know. Um, but the thing about the catechism, <laughs> of the Catholic church is that, uh, everything that that is done, all ritual, all belief, all of that, there there has to be some sort of scriptural support, scriptural basis. So usually they'll um, the way they cite things is they'll they'll give the uh, they'll state the statement and then in parentheses uh, link it back to the Bible verse or verses or chapter or whatever that support that particular statement. So in the case of homosexuality, it's like, you know, homosexuality, we recognize that people are born perfect and they may be born gay, but like they may not act on it. And then they cite the hilarity fuckery that um, (laughs) exists in the Bible to support that, which is like the really... I think that like, unless you were a catechist like I was and you were like someone who taught confirmation and... um, or grew up a really like a really strong Catholic upbringing was one of the most subtle and beautiful things in the whole series is that at every turn, Bev Keen played by Samantha Soylen, um, the church lady had was able to support every terrible decision she made, but with scripture and ever, and that's the whole, mm-hmm. everything scripture, even when at the end, when she turns on father Paul um, she has like, you know, it, she went from like telling the mayor, you know, uh, what, what was that? It's like, he who dis, he who disobeys the priest, uh, should be met with death to like, don't listen to the priests, like in just a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was so beautiful because I was just like, yeah, because that's what people do just because they have the knowledge. Um, So, you know, one thing I want to bring up folks, what are your thoughts on this? Joshua. (laughs) Uh, I mean, on the scriptural basis of, uh, of this, like, kind of basically, you know, using scripture either to support or pervert ideas. I mean, oh, okay. th- yeah, no, yeah, I get that. I get you. Yeah, okay. no, obviously, the Southern Baptists fucking love that shit, um, which is what I grew up with, was, you know, and uh-huh. mostly within churches related to like Southern Baptists or, you know, that kind of um, st- stuff, those, those sorts of teachings. Um, 
I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to like exactly how to answer because it's such like a part of your life. Like that's one of those things, like that's another like straight privilege, you know, in some ways mm-hmm. of like, <laughs> because so much of that is like used to like uphold that particular way of life of like getting married and having children and like, you're good and you're the God, you know, looks favorably upon you. So it's like, you become so used to being told, um, because of what the Bible says, like you're going to hell or, you know, your life, the misery in your life is because of, you know, this and that, that, you know, it's like something, I mean, it's laughable now because when I was a kid, like I was, and I've talked about this before, you know, a little bit in the past when we did on the stigmata episode and, you know, I've talked about it in other episodes, you, you do have this fear and you do have this horror when you're gro- because you're taught, like they indoctrinate you, you're brainwashed you know, into like looking at the world in this particular way. So when I was like young, I spent so much time, like, I mean, there was a good, like solid year, year and a half of my life. I spent in a lot of fear at night, worried about God and worried about like, you know, what I was going to do with my life. And now it's just so laughable to me. So when people say stuff like that, well, the Bible says like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and I remember getting into arguments with people, you know, who would do that and they pull out their Bibles and it's like, girl, I went, to, I know the Bible too. Like, don't talk to me like I don't know it. You know, I just said I spent like fucking 15 years of my life going to goddamn, you know, Sunday school and Bible church stuff. And, you know, like nobody the more like you are terrified of it, the more like studying and reading I was doing. So it's like, I would just pull it out and be like, well, here, here's where it says like this, you know, it's okay to enslave people. Here's where it says it's okay to like, you know, beat your wife. Here's where it says you can't like mix your clothing or you can't eat shrimp or you can't do this or you can't do that. And here you are, you know, it's like these people who post like God made you the way you are. You know, I hate trans people. And it's like, your hair is bleached. You're wearing glasses. You got braces. Like, fuck off, you know, like, what are you talking about? God made you perfect the way you are, you know, and you've done all this stuff to yourself, not to mention, you know, how many cis people rely on gender affirming care, you know, for, for hormones that they need for various things, you know, uh, boob jobs, that's gender reaffirming surgery. I hate to tell you people, you know, if you're doing something because you think it's going to make you look more the way you want to look as your gender, you know, men who take balding supplements and stuff like that. It's like, God, you're the way God made you. You need to let all that go. Like, fuck off. You know, so (laughs) there's just so much hypocrisy in it that I can't even, I can't even, sorry, this has like become this rant. You need to be bald. Um, But it's just, she is preaching. That's what's happening. (laughs) She is preaching. And I'm not saying, like, I think people should do whatever they, you know, want it, like, do whatever's right for you. But it's like the hypocrisy of it is what I can't, you know, get. And I just can't abide it, you know. So when people start talking like that, I immediately just want to point to things. Oh, you've got a tattoo. Your hair's pink. You've done this. You've done, like, get the fuck out of my face. (laughs) And to tell you the truth, if that, if that's, if those people are right, if those people are right and they're all going to heaven, I don't want to spend eternity with them anyways. I want to be in hell with all the fun people. <laughs> like, you know, sorry. Like, that doesn't sound fun to me. Like, spending my life with uh, Marjorie Green yeah. Taylor, my my eternal life. True. No, thank you. 
Mark, uh, and if that person is right, then sorry again. God owes me an apology, not the other way around. <laughs> Joshua, so basically, what you're saying is Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, uh fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I think Jesus would have a lot more fun with me and my friends than with any of those people. And they'd crucify him again anyways. You know, as soon as he starts talking that commie bullshit about taking care of people, feeding the poor, and, you know, fuck the wealthy, that's it. He's going right back up on that cross. So, like, I'm not fooled. They don't fool me. I know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Delia, thoughts? Or has Joshua just... (laughs) Laid it all out for us. I'm well, so sorry. That was such a rant. <laughs> I, I think it's Ugh. growing up. Like, especially when you... Girl, you got to. Rant it out. Um, <laughs> up with, you know, the Bible being around. Like, we weren't really a Bible-heavy reading. But it was always emphasized growing up that it was stories. And it wasn't this, like doctrine to be like elevated to absolute truth because it was men who wrote a secondhand account of these things that were happening. So it wasn't like, it's like, yes, the Bible's Bible existed and we had stories from it, but there wasn't this doctrine of you have to live your life this way. And it was always emphasized, like I remember my grandmother, you know, growing up Catholic and having her around, she was always like doubting her faith. And she was always like, you know, emphasizing Jesus teachings insofar, like taking care of the poor, of loving everyone, of, you know, so to me growing up, like Jesus wasn't this, or the church wasn't this thing to be kind of like feared and fall in line with. It was this kind of like beacon of love. And I think that's what I couldn't like reconcile, like being an adult and having people, you know, come out again, like people of faith come out against trans people, people who are gay, people who are non-binary. And it's like, I think, his teaching was that like, I mean, if we're all made in God's image, like that's it. Like we're not supposed to not live part of our life because it doesn't align with a story in the Bible. Like he made us to live our entire life, how we're supposed to live. So, and for nobody else to say like, Nope, that's not it. (laughs) You got that wrong. You have to live this way. It's like, I think what perverted some of these things is people in power. And the Catholic Church has a huge amount Mm -hmm. of power. And that power is mostly men. Mm, Absolutely. And that's never a good structure. (laughs) You know, to not have any kind of other voices. Hallelujah. Amen. So it's like, you know, I think, yes, the scripture can be. It, you can support anything, any point of view with a verse here and there, yeah. you know, but yeah. I don't, I think like an I, I overall mean, to, to your message, point, right. So like I, I, um, 
to your point, Delia, you know, the, it, brother Joe. <laughs> one of the biggest gifts that I got when I took a, um, <laughs> I took a humanities, um, early Western Civ humanities course in college. And we read the Bible as like a text. And my instructor, uh, she was like, the Bible is a, is, is the greatest edited text. And <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's gone through many different translations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been over like, you know, thousand millennia. And that was something that is even brought up in the show as well when they're having the, um, the kind of PTA meeting about like the Bible being handed out to students at the school mm-hmm. and Sheriff Hassan handed is, you know, that also terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that scene. Yes. And Sheriff Hassan is, you know, making very good points about like, you know, we like the Bible, it's a thing, but like, you know, the true word of God is the Quran because it's not been edited. It's like, it's pure, it, it has, there's a purity there. Um, and so, you know, and, and then being met with that. Um, the one thing I will say, this is actually, um, I want to quote an article. See, look, me here, references, resources. Um, so this article is from um, America Magazine which is a Jesuit publication. And this is uh, from Father Terence Klein. The article is called, What Does a Catholic Priest Think About Midnight Mass? And um, he, it's a Catholic publication, and he goes on uh, to write. Um, I was just going to find this right here. Um, this is a this is one of the more interesting things that I read uh, when I was reading all of this, and it's uh, specifically about Bev Keen and talking about um, and talking about sin. So let me find it here. Um, it's uh, da, 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 she looks in the face of evil. Uh, she looks evil in the face and decides that it is just the. Uh, tonic and sickness world needs. Bev Keen is the avatar of the religious zealots who ravage America today. They see a sin, typically one they themselves would never be tempted to commit, and they are willing to wipe away tolerance, patience, and compassion itself in their desire to strike at it. They quote generously from scripture and tradition. Their only criterion is that the judgment be directed outward toward others who have sin. Only self-introspection is banished. And that's speaking directly about um, our favorite character to hate, one of the, I hope, live forever as one of the great villains of television history, uh, Bev Keen. <laughs> um, and that kind of brings me on to the next kind of topic that I want to bring up. And um, this is something that Delia and I had talked about a little bit uh, as she was in the process of watching her, um, doing her watch of the, of the series is the idea of how 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 concepts of forgiveness and addiction um but sp- specifically re- uh, forgiveness play into the series and sp- speaking directly about the character of Riley Flynn. Um so Delia if you could explain a little bit more about, you know, that journey and kind of how it relates to you. Well, I think that it's um, to not to live in this time and to not know someone who's struggled with addiction. I think you'd be pretty lucky. Um, and I watched my dad in specific struggle with addiction for years. And I remember 
And he went to prison for 12 years for drugs. And he said that um, kind of at toward the end, toward when he was busted, he actually like, and I assume he might have been high. Um, <laughs> he said, like, he kind of offered himself up to God. And he said, you know, I just, I can't, I don't like where my life is at. Like, I just, I can't do this anymore. Please send me some way to get out of this. And he said he heard God's voice and he said, well, you're not going to like it. (laughs) And then the next day he was raided. And he said he sat on a curb out in front of the house that he cooked meth in, um, in handcuffs. And he said, I just finally felt at peace. And in his like during his time serving his sentence, he actually got back into touch with my brother and I, and he like, you know, he was definitely an absentee father for most of childhood. And when he was there, he was a terror, like he was terrorizing. And we were able to like get back in contact. And he actually, for the first time ever asked for our forgiveness for what he put us through. And he realized the damage that that had done. And, you know, we had an opportunity to forgive and to move forward. And I think there is something powerful in forgiving others and asking for forgiveness, that that they're both equally powerful. And so I saw like so much of that character of Riley of like constantly struggling for like the feeling of worthiness and the feeling of, I have a purpose here and I'm not just this thing that happened to me. And so I think somebody who's gone through that transformation, like what forgiveness gives back to you, um, what you're able to learn and how you're able to soften yourself. I think that like that series, like Mike Flanagan did an excellent job of writing that into a character. Okay. I think I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thank you so much uh, (laughs) for sharing that Delia. Um, Joshua, any, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, (laughs) I mean, everything like Delia is saying, obviously, I mean, I want to be a therapist, so I don't want to like, you know, I can't be, forgiveness is terrible for you. Um, no, I, I do think that I think there's a lot of power in, of course, yes, asking for it and, and, and uh, being forgiven, you know, forgiving others. I also think there's a lot of empowerment in not, you know, in letting somebody say they're sorry to you and still be like, it's okay to be, you know, um, yeah, thanks for your apology. I'm not going to accept it. Or I do accept it, but I don't want a relationship with you. I think those are very hard things to, um, yeah. it's hard to navigate and it's hard to judge. So each person has to do what they, they, they can do for themselves. You know, there are people in my life like that, that it's like, um, you know, I'm not really interested in apology or closure. I don't really believe in that. Like if, for every situation, it's fine to just be like, you know, cause in this, in this situation, like, you know, I mean, he's, killed you know a young woman in in a drunk driving accident 
And that has to be a horrible thing to carry. And of course you'd want to do anything and everything you can to make people whole, but you can't, you can't bring a person back, you know, to life there, you know, so it's like his, his whole story Mm -hmm. is very interesting because it's just like, there's like, yeah, how do you navigate that? And in our society, we're so judgmental. We listen, we love to hate, we love to judge. We love to be able to sit in a position of like, you know, well, at least I didn't do that thing, you know, that you did, you know, and it like weaponizes it. So yeah, I think moral this, this show does a really good job of, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and obviously there's a, within the sh- context of the show, there's a lot of that, you know, obviously Bev's very morally superior, yeah. you know, the church itself, like, you know, is representing a, a certain position of moral superiority, even if, uh, even if father Hill isn't necessarily doing that, you know, he's, he's bringing something, you know, in his mind that's new and helpful and he's trying to help people with something that um, is ultimately everyone's undoing. So it's, you know, there's a lot to think about within the context of the show about that, about forgiveness, about um, trying to do your best, even when it, it's a, even when it's a fail right at the the door, you know? Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's a lot like this is, this series was very, very, very well done. I think for the most part, you know, there was like that one episode where they sat on the couch and talked for five years. (laughs) That, even though I know in the end why <laughs> they did it and like, and it all kind of came back. Yes. <laughs> it all came back to that moment. It was like, oh, okay, well it makes sense. But in the moment we were all just sitting there like, is this going to go on forever? Uh, but overall, I really, I really, really liked it. It brought in, you know, like Salem's lot. It brought in, you know, all of these like really interesting influences. Uh, Mike Flanagan is great. So I just, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it made, um, it just it made it made a very good statement. Is this the first? This is the first time we've done like a series, isn't it? Like a whole like a television series on the show. Um, it's sort it, of the impetus for this, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. And and you know we're doing all sorts of fun things for the first time in this <laughs> in this particular <laughs> capstone unit. Yeah. Um, and because it's also like a limited series, it's just like one complete thought. But yeah. Um, you know, it's just a very long thought, <laughs> just like mass can be sometimes, you know, especially Easter, yes. the Easter oh, services. Um, the struggle. Like, I think that we live in a culture that it's like we have kind of like catchphrases for the struggle, like the struggle is real and we don't mm. open ourselves up to what that is what people struggle with and to have a discourse and be honest about it without like fear of judgment, you know, what that struggle is because everyone on that Island knew what that character did, knew what Riley did. And you could tell, like, I mean, that was a thing that it's like, you just have this ache because everyone I think has that experience that maybe not to that degree, but that you've done something and that you're looked at a certain way or you're afraid of being looked at a certain way. So struggling with what the rest of your life looks like and asking those questions, I thought that was brilliantly. Um, yes. Two more points. Um, the next point I want to bring up is the, the idea of the duality of belief and faith, right? So, and this duality being that faith ritual 
is simultaneously comforting for people and very grounding has um has um demonstratively good effects on the people's lives but at the same time there's also this idea of like you know high being gatekeeper highly exclusionary and the kind of unintended and sometimes in and sometimes more often not in intended violence that that faith can you know, wreak upon the world. Um, I see this illustrated in two in two sets of characters, right? So you have um, the Flynns. You have Annie Flynn and her husband, who go to mass every day. They are very pious, but they're also not. Um, they don't gatekeep in the same way that Bev Keen does. Um, they're just trying to live the best life that they can. Um, and do what is right and what is expected of the, what God expects of them. And then you have um, and then you have the mayor and his wife um, who you know are pious, similarly pious, but at the same time they're you know end up being a part of the plot to you know convert the entire to bring about the new covenant of vampirism as it were. <laughs> Bev Keen also falls into that second in that second one. <laughs> And so I want to. I I thought this was an important thing that is illustrated so so beautifully in the um, in the show because um, as kind of all of the shit hits the fan in the last two episodes, where you know people are turning into vampires left and right, and there's a moment where the Flynns. Um, they find each other after thinking that, you know, the others had perished. They find each other. They're both turned and they're standing there. And it's like, I feel the hunger, but I also feel like I can resist it. Like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be this uh, monster that's going to kill someone. Like, I, I feel the need and the, the burning hunger inside of me, but I'm not, I'm resisting it. In a similar way, drawing a parallel to, you know, I feel the need for the flesh. I feel the need to commit a sin. But, you know, because of my own whatever moral resolve there is, um, I do not. Um, And this is something that, like, the church, the faithful expect from their leaders. Um, But, you know, oftentimes does not happen. Um, As we've seen, uh, Delia, you mentioned, you know, the sex scandals that the church had to deal with. and, and the many ways that, you know, the uh, people, uh, you know, faith leaders um, let down <laughs> their congregations. But at the same time, you know, it's just like you can't, they're, um, that's one thing that religion, especially Catholicism, like really values is this idea of self-denial um, and, and all of that. And in the moment, it's interesting, it kind of complicates that a little bit because, I don't think it's saying that self, I don't think the, the series is saying that self-denial is a good thing, but I do believe that that's an important moment for the Flynn's to kind of justify that, like they're not in it to gatekeep. They're in it because it's genuinely something that is giving them comfort and belief. Um, any thoughts on this? I think that there's, you know, with leaders of the church, with leaders of anything, there's still, there should be like a big asterisk there because it's like, you're still human, right? Like there is always going to be a line of humanity and divinity. 
And no matter like how close like that priest comes, no matter how close the messenger comes, like you're still in human form. So it's like, we still have this like line drawn like this. So, you know, I, I don't know, like it really kind of having the Monsignor come back as the young priest and the reason why he came back. I mean, maybe it was partly to save this community, but by and large, like he wanted to reconnect with the love of his life. (laughs) So it's like, it's a very human drive that he gave into as a leader leading a faith community. And it's like, as a priest, you're supposed to be, I'm putting air quotes around that above that, like above that need to like commune with the flesh. (laughs) Um, But it's like, what brought you like what started this whole thing? Like why you packed that freaking angel in a trunk and lugged it back from the Holy land was because you wanted to reconnect with this specific woman that you crossed paths with years earlier. So even the foundation of like wanting to like save humanity or usher in this new covenant it's not going to work just based on the fact that like you're trying to connect with the love of your life. Like, so yeah, it was kind of like faulted from the very beginning. Yeah. I I think that also like, I do believe that some people believe truly believe and you're going to have members that are like that. I think that they represent, you know, the people who are like are upholding the church, you know, they're giving their money, they're coming every week, they're telling other people about it, you know, bringing people. So I, I think that it would be, I think we have to like have those people, you know, they, they have to be present in the, in the, in the story uh, because they do believe and they do feel like they trust him implicitly. So um, I I really appreciate um, I really appreciate everything that you both have said. Um, we're going to move on to the final topic and what I believe to be the <laughs> the central thesis of the entire series. And I saved it for last because I think we're going to have a lot to say about it. Um, is the idea that um, it's this power of belief. Um, and, and belief so strong, it verges on the zealous, um, that gives people the, um, over the, uh, un, the, a large capacity, expansive capacity, uh, to commit acts of human cruelty. And because of that, people are able to do things and justify atrocities, uh, justify things that, you know, on its face are like intensely not Christian, <laughs> but, right. but for the glory of God. And, you know, let's take it back. Let's take it back to the sermon on good Friday that father Paul gives where it's like, you know, the, the, the death is death. Christ's death. The suffering is justified only because we know where it's headed. It's headed to Easter Sunday. It's headed to salvation that, that all of that cruelty is justified 
because we know where it's headed. Um, and that the only thing that makes the passion worth it is the resurrection two day, three days later. Um, and then like using that to, you know, extrapolate all sorts of, all sorts of human cruelty. Um, there is another article that I'd like to bring up. Uh, this is a really, it's a really good read. It's from the Atlantic, um, the Netflix series that should make religious people uncomfortable uh, by Matthew J. Kressler. Um, citing that Midnight Mass is a morally urgent critique of how faith can fuel everyday cruelty and violence. Um, and one of the things that uh, Kressler brings up in the uh, in this is the idea that, you know, even at the end where, um, even at the end, like the kind of implosion of the, <laughs> the, the plan is to like go out and proselytize and convert the others and bring about the new covenant, the new gospel. Um, it's also, <laughs> it, it, it see that there's like an implosion of it because of how, uh, but drawing a parallel to how like the, uh, spreading of the gospel also was a way to inflict, to enslave people, to build things, on, to build whole empires on the backs of, you know, enslaved labor, uh, genocide, various atrocities, um, but using, you know, vampirism to do all that. Um, and we've talked about this before. I've mentioned this specifically when we talk about Midsommar and how Midsommar is nothing on its face supernatural, but just because of their belief. Um, this is also something we can talk about in terms of like the current religious right, you know, this kind of religious uh, right-wing Christianity that it has kind of infected our culture and politics. Um, but I wanted to open this up for discussion as well um, uh, among everybody here is that, you know, I, I believe that the series is not necessarily it's it's saying that that is a critique of it, but it's also not overtly saying that religion is by any means bad, because there are like in the previous point there are things that people find redemptive and good about it. But how do we reckon with the idea that like the institution itself has been supported, propped up, and made richer on the on the blood of other people and um, has itself committed violence. I mean, violence against the innocent in terms of sex scandals, violence against native people wiped out entire cultures. My culture, my, the indigenous people of my Island um, were, uh, were forced to, you know, give up their religion or give up their, uh, um, heathen ways and, you know, turn to the gospel. Uh, and, you know, ironically, the, a lot, the, most of what we know about the ancient people of Guam was written by Catholic missionaries because, you know, they were being studied like <laughs> being studied like <laughs> animals that they were. And like, Oh, look how these like weird, you know, how, look how these people do these things. Aren't they just so primitive? Um, and slowly seeing the undoing of our ancient, of the ancient ways. Um, thoughts, comments, concerns. We'll go to Delia first, since we went to Joshua first last time. Um, well, uh, <laughs> with the with the passion of the Christ, like during this, and since we just like are out of Easter season, or maybe not technically, I don't know what Sunday 
this is. Um, but we know that that suffering was worth it in hindsight. And that's what I don't think, like, I, no one knew while Christ was going through that. And I guess that's where belief comes in, going through all that pain and suffering, that a couple days later, he was going to be resurrected. Like, that was the promise. Like, I don't know if anyone was like, yeah, that follow through is definitely going to happen. <laughs> but I think that <laughs> humanity, like we do use this institution to justify stuff because you are part, it's a giant group think you are part of a larger community where it's like, you have like somebody who, or like a whole institution that will back you up. And it's, it's fascinating to me that, because I don't really agree with missionary work. Like I don't, you know, the kind of the way the gospel was dispersed and the way people went out to convert and that there is only one true God, like immediately like that is a hang up. (laughs) Um, And I, I don't believe that, you know? So it's like for, people who is like entire culture is just obliterated in the name of God, because this is like the one true faith, the one true religion. I think if you're a human and you have like, this is the one true way immediately. It's like, "Mm, I don't think you're my people. Like if you don't exist in some kind of shades of gray about it, like I just, if you've decided like, that's it, like game over, like, this is how it's going to be. I just, I, I enjoy people who question. And I think that final scene, like with the Flynn's, the questioning of, you know, you have this hunger and you want to feed it, but you also, you were taught that killing is wrong. So it's like, even you have this very human, like, like stop gap, like of, well, I need to feed this thing, but you're also preying on an innocent person. It's like, Oh, whoops. There, (laughs) there's a few flaws in the plan of like bringing forth this new covenant. One of which is like, but for somebody like the character of Bev Keen, that isn't a roadblock because we're offering you eternal life. And it's like, I don't think it's like the two roads diverging in a yellow wood. And I took the one that I'm not going to like kill somebody and suck out their soul by. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. It asked so many questions and that's why I loved watching this series with kind of the backdrop of Catholicism. But I think if you're a human on the planet, you're always struggling with, with why is there this misery? Why is there war? Why is there suffering? So, yeah, I think that. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I often say, like, yeah, I God owes me an explanation, not the other way around. Like, that's how <laughs> we're going to, you know. And that's, I mean, that's a, you know, lots of people have, you know, said that. That's a, you know, there's a famous quote like that. Uh, I don't remember who it is because I read it years and years ago and it resonated and it's just become part of my own 
you know, thoughts. Um, yeah, you know, I used to struggle with this, like, this was another, like, problem in Sunday school, like, <laughs> talking because they'd be like, you know, um, because they're trying to explain stuff to kids, you know, and make you feel good about it. Because it's like, you know, um, like, what about, like, babies who die? Do, are they in hell? And it's like, no, 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 because they're innocent and they don't know about God. And so, like, they go right to heaven. And then it's like, well, you know, what about, like, some, like, tribe and, you know, that's never going to hear about Jesus? And it's like, well, they'll go to heaven, too. So it's like... Cause they never heard about it. They're innocent or whatever, you know, but I'm like, okay, then why don't we leave everybody alone? <laughs> like, <laughs> then why do we tell people? Why even like, have if you just Cause if the mission is to get everybody into heaven. Yeah. If the mission is to get, is to get everybody into heaven and to return to God, then why are you going around like imperializing people? <laughs> you know, like that's not yeah. the goal. The goal is not really to save souls or get, or at least it hasn't become that way for the power structures involved. Yes. I do believe that people who go around and they do good works and they're doing it as an extension of their religion. Um, and hopefully they mean it, you know, cause again, I also don't think there's anything all that great in being like, you know, I fucking hate everybody, but I got to go down to the soup kitchen or else I can't go to heaven like that. What kind of like, that's nonsense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or like, yeah. you know, well, I go to church every week. It's like, yeah. And you spend the rest of the week being a fucking, you know, Dick. cock, like nobody cares. <laughs> like, you know, like, th- like, what is the point? What is the point? You know? So yeah, I really struggle a lot with that. You know, it's just, it's, it's clear that religion serves a very particular powerful purpose. And then not just Catholic, lots of religious faiths are are also rooted in political acts are also rooted in states, you know, other countries have, you know, like religious, um, you know, theocratic opera operations. Um, I do argue that the U S we, we definitely have like clearly a, a, a big theocratic, you know, movement in our society. Um, Cause again, it's like, you know, you're practicing a faith that tells you, you can't do this. That's for you. That's not for me. Cause I'm not practicing your faith, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that's, you can't do those things. That's fine. You withhold and you sit in your house until you die because you can't, you know, go out and look at other people or, you know, have a thought in your head that is of your own generation, you know, that's, you know, made your on your own. Um, like that's for you. That's not for the rest of us. So like, I just have a big problem with the, I mean, the, just the entire way, like it operates, but again, that's because the way I look at it, it's not really about that. It is about getting people into your church who then you tell them, Hey, and by the way, you got to give us 10% of your earnings tithing, um, or whatever else, you know, everybody's always donating money to the church or, um, the church is telling people how to vote. Now the church is telling people how to, you know, walk around in their social and political lives their activist lives. It's a bigger, it's a bigger thing than just trying to bring the lambs home to God. And, you know, so I just, yeah, I just don't really have a use for it. I mean, it's one of those things of like, I would rather not have any sort of religious um, operations in, you know, publicly in the world Mm -hmm than have them because I do think the world would be better off without it. I don't, I think that if anything, telling people they need God or they need a religion to make them good people is horrible. It, that's such like psychotic mutilative bullshit. Um, you know, we are fine. We, we, you know, plenty of atheists give, you know, massive amounts of money to philanthropist organizations and do things, you know, based on the sole fact that we don't think 
there's anything after this life. This is all you get. So mm-hmm. like make it better for everybody. Um, yeah. you know, so I just don't see the trade off. I'd rather, if there's going to be God and religion, I'd rather everybody keep it to their fucking selves. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there not really be a public, a public space for it. You know, like there should be the divide between the two things should be, you know, just that a divide, um, so that people can operate in their life, how they want. Again, my rights end when they invade your rights, you know, that's all you need. You know, I'm not going to go around attacking you or hitting you because I don't want the same for me. I'm not going to try to murder you because I don't want to be murdered. You know, like that's the only like religion you need. Like if you want to add more stuff to it, (laughs) that's great. If it brings you solace and it brings you peace, I definitely want that. But this, this, this series does a really good job. Once again, within the context of horror, we've seen this, we've seen this in the mist. We've seen this in, um, you know, well, hell, I should have made a whole list because now I can't think off the top of my head. <laughs> but religion serving as like this sort of, as this sort of like parable, you know, within this film mm-hmm. or this uh, series. Um, you know, we've seen this before. This again, we're all aware of of, of how these theocratic, you know, fascist people want, want the world. Uh, oh, The Handmaid's Tale, there's another good example. Um, you know, we we've seen this before. So I think they do a really good job of like, you know, what happens when you do give way too much power to something that people just really believe in. Like, there's no proof. We don't have any proof. Like, I don't believe Jesus existed at all. Like I've talked about that before. Like I'm not, I'm not convinced he was a historical person. Um, but that doesn't matter. You know, who cares? Like, it's about like the, the faith of it all. And I, that's really dangerous in some hands. <laughs> um, I mean, again, like we talk about the in the in the New Testament, there's um, one of the apostles asked Jesus, "What is the uh, which one is the greatest commandment?" And Jesus basically gives them another commandment, which is, you know. Uh, uh, do unto others, right? As you would have right. them do unto you, the greatest commandment as it were. And, um, and so, you know, Joshua, you kind of illustrated that without, I mean, it, it illustrated that, but also not in a context of faith, right? It's just, you know, <laughs> it's just good old, just good old common sense. Um, um, any, any final thoughts uh, or anything I else that like- you'd like to bring up? There's the um, the it's like Matthew 25 or whatever. I like that story a lot, or that that you know where it's like, you know, f- for whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you did it to me, or you did it for mm-hmm. me. You know, for I was hungry and you gave me food. For I was you know, I was in prison and you, and you me visited shelter, me. You know, yeah. I was you know starving and you get you know what I was thirsty and you gave me water. Um, you know, I I've always really I've always thought that was like that. There you go. That's all you need to take away from the Bible. At the end of the day, is that right there? Like how you treat the least of the people as you consider them least, as we consider it, you know, socially, whatever time you're in, whatever century you're in, whoever society deems as the lowest of the low, how you treat them is how you treat Jesus within his words, within his little red lines in the, in the uh, (laughs) new Testament. Is it the old Testament, whatever? I don't know. Um, I forgotten. Um, like that's that there's your takeaway. Like Jesus let, laid it pretty much out there. Somebody wanted to argue with me on whether Jesus was a socialist or a communist. I was kind of being funny. Jesus is a commie. Um, I like that kind of construct, but regardless, he left a, a socialist message, you know, a communal message and Christians don't do that. 
They just don't. Not like the Republican Christian trademark, you know, that is not following their mythology. And that's my problem. You know, say whatever you want, but you best be following it. And they don't. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me in any of this kind of conversation. Love it. Love it. Delia, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Definitely watch it <laughs> as a lapsed Catholic or not lapsed <laughs> Catholic. Um, and I think it's important to find a community where you can talk about the struggle of being human. And for some people, that might be a faith community, but for others, maybe it's a friend group. And yeah. really, like, talk about belief and faith and, you know, how to do things better. Like, I think in this last couple of years, being cut off socially from people um, has really, like, amplified the need to be authentic. And hopefully people can find their group that they can be authentic with and ask questions and listen to answers and not just be a part of a group that's solely comprised of like-minded individuals. Because I think that is a pitfall as well, you know, to just, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of be in this echo chamber of, you know, God is great. (laughs) You know, it definitely, it had me asking my own questions about, you know, life here on earth and salvation. And if I still believe and what spirituality looks like outside of the confines of a Catholic church, you know, what else it is, what else it's comprised of. So, yeah, I think this, it was very well done and how like the littlest things can just be terrifying and how it, it just, it's happened slowly, you know, like, I don't think it's, it's this kind of like building of like, and that's, you know, kind of what's happening in our world, like this building of, you know, what we find acceptable and what we keep accepting. And then it just gets worse. And it's like, well, we accepted that thing yesterday. So I guess this is, you know, the new thing. And it's like, I think just stopping and, you know, kind of calling into account like, or calling on our better angels of, you know, Hey, like this is Mm -hmm. unkind or this, you know, being able to stand up and say like, quit treating trans people that way. Quit being like the freaking gender police. Quit being (laughs) like, all of the things. Um, right. But yeah, I think this definitely, it opened my eyes. It was, and it was kind of like a, a weird homecoming too. It's kind of like revisiting summer camp, <laughs> just especially like the episodes where like the church service was such a part of the, you know, cause I found myself like reciting along and I texted that to Joe. It's like, you know, all of these, they're just so ingrained. And so it's like, wow, that's like what my brain is using like storage capacity for. (laughs) I can't remember somebody's phone number, but sure as shit. I'll remember like, 
all of the prayers of a certain mass. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was it. It's a, this is a supersized episode for you folks, but you know, got to cover all the, (laughs) we got to cover all the bases. Who knows when Joshua is going to let me do this again. So I need to make sure we went out, um, with a bang. Um, Delia, thank you so much for being game for, for answering the call (laughs) to come on today. Church humor. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yay. And Joshua, thank you again for allowing me to uh, do this. I had a really great time uh, putting this all together. I look forward to doing it again. But for the love of God, please take take this back. Take back the pod. Um, <laughs> and I need, I need time to let my brain rest. Ah, uh, well, there we go. Well, thank you, Joe. This was super fun, like talking all the, all the Catholic stuff and... Um... You know, getting a getting a nice little uh, peek into your world in a different way. So, thank you, Delia. Thank you, dear listener. As always, you know, please like, rate, share, subscribe, whatever, all of the things. Uh, you know, follow us on the gram and the Twitter and the <laughs> Insta Twitbook. Um, all right, have a good night. Holy God, we <laughs> praise thy name. No. I mean, we could get the... There are no rights to it. It's ancient. So, okay, all right. Well, bye, bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.